Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Do enough due diligence on the people you associate yourself with. I think people get excited to get into a deal, into a project, into an opportunity, and that excitement may put blinders on them. So I think it's really important you really know who you're getting to business with. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest-running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best Ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today we are joined by Thomas Larini. Thomas is joining us from Irvine, California. He is a dual citizen Canadian and U.S. citizen, grew up in Canada. He is the CEO of VentureCo Capital, his private investing firm, and of Wealth Genius, his real estate coaching program where he primarily coaches Canadians on how to invest in U.S. real estate. Current portfolio consists of over 400 multifamily units in a variety of markets across the U.S. and Canada. Thomas, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Absolutely. Well, first off, it's a pleasure to be here at Slocum, and I'm excited to share a bit more about my story. Quick background, as you shared, I'm originally from Toronto, Canada, born and raised. Started investing back in 2004 with a house hack. That was my first experience of being a landlord. From there, it really was a slow growth. I didn't grow up in an environment where I had friends or family who were investors. So it took about five years later where I joined a group where I got the proper education and motivation to take the next step. And I quickly got my next property, which was a duplex. And over the course of the next four to five years, I just added one to two properties a year. It really was the decision for us to move to the U.S. where I got into real estate investing full-time. That's about 10 years ago where we moved. My wife's originally from California, so we moved to warmer climates. And basically, I transitioned full-time into real estate at that point. And since then, I've kind of gone full tilt into multifamily investing. We are focused in a number of different markets. I do like the Ohio market. This has been one of our main focuses this year specifically, but I've been investing in that market since 2018. We do have a project here in Southern California. Although it's not a landlord-friendly state, there are still opportunities here. So we are in the process of building 172 units 
about an hour and a half from here, from where I'm based out of. That's something that we've gone through the full entitlement. I raised the capital, so we've got partners lined up, and we're hoping to break ground in Q1 of next year. And we've also got a similar project in Tucson, Arizona. We do have a deal in Texas, just outside Dallas. It's 149 units that we're looking to close in about three weeks. Uh, that actually going to be a two-year play. Uh, we've got it off-market with a significant amount of value on the acquisition. So we're not looking to do a full burr on it. We're basically going to flip it in about two years' time, but very strong returns on that one. And I got a portfolio of assets back in Canada. But additionally to my investment, as you had mentioned, I'm a coach. So about a year, year and a half ago, I realized that I've got a tremendous network back in Canada. And there's never been more interest in Canadians to invest in the U.S. So I basically launched my coaching program through Wealth Genius, which is a huge network back in Canada, offering to coach Canadians to invest in the U.S. So currently I've got about 60 students, and it's been a significant focus of mine to helping these Canadians. There's a number of reasons behind that. We can get into that if that's something you'd like, but Canadian market in general is a smaller market. Canadians have capital, but there's a tremendous amount of opportunities in the U.S. And there are certain steps that Canadians need to factor, consider, and set up prior to investing in the U.S., unlike Americans. So I help take them through that. And I've got multitude of resources from cross-border CPAs, attorneys, and whatnot to help set them up with that. So again, those have been my two focuses my private investing firm, and my coaching program over the last little while. Nice. That's a lot. A couple of questions here. There are a couple of things from your current portfolio that I'd like to dive into. But first, I know that your commercial apartment investing is relatively recent. Have you gone full cycle on any of those larger properties yet? The larger ones, no. So the assets in Ohio, I sold off my smaller assets a few years ago, well, actually during covid and got into the apartments in that market over the past year and a half. So we haven't gone full cycle as of yet. The new builds are still in the process of being constructed. So those are going to be a two-year turn to be able to get them to a point of stabilization. In terms of my experience in Canada, I've gone full cycle on some of the assets there. But I've predominantly been a buy and hold investor over the lifetime of my investing career. And I've got some partners of mine that we've gone into a multitude of deals together and we're just mainly buying holding these and that's the case with the number of the assets that we've acquired in the last little while gotcha and with regards to your involvement in these larger apartment deals are you primarily involved in capital raising and investor relations and then partnering with other deal finders and operators in each of these markets not necessarily Every deal is different, but I would say the majority of them are very similar. Myself or one of my partners, we'd source the deal for the most part. If we're talking specifically the Ohio assets, I've either found them, put them under contract and raised a considerable amount of the capital myself, brought on a few partners on the active side to help with the management, also on some of the raise as well. And that's been the process and the main focus of mine. The Texas deal is going to be a co-GP opportunity. So there's a, a group that's been focused on the Texas market over the past four or five years. They own hundreds of doors in that market. They've gone full cycle. So it made more sense to me to partner with them to leverage their experience and systems in that market. 
So that would be the first co-GP opportunity in that market. For instance, the California deal here, which is new built. So I've been lucky enough that my father-in-law is a developer and a builder. So I partner with him. I actually used to work with him when I first moved here. So we've got a working relationship that goes years. And basically I've been able to raise the capital for a deal that he already was in the process of entitling. So that's more of a JV scenario. So you can see a little bit different across the board, but not that different. Again, the co-GP is really one project out of the three different sectors. That's interesting. The other thing that stands out is the diversity of the markets that you are invested in currently. California is a thing unto itself. Then you have the Southwest and you have the Midwest and Cleveland. How is it that you are selecting the markets you're selecting to invest in? Great question. Number one, the Midwest, I think in this high interest environment that we're all faced in, the Midwest offers solid opportunities. I'm acquiring these assets between a seven and an eight cap and with a value add component to it. I think the Midwest traditionally has been overlooked. It's not as sexy as some of these other Southern markets, the Florida and Texas that gets more of the headlines. But I think now, more than any time in the past 10 years, you're seeing the Midwest outperforming these places. So I'm glad I got a little ahead of the curve. And now what we're seeing, actually, there was a recent article by Fortune.com that talks about the return of the Rust Belt and talking specifically on Midwest, Cleveland, Columbus, Pittsburgh, these markets, which, again, they've been more cash flow plays. But now what we're seeing is uh, appreciation has escalated considerably. So these markets over the last 12 months are experiencing anywhere from 8 to about 11% appreciation over the last 12 months versus some of these other markets, as I mentioned, are either flat, slightly negative, or just over 1% to 2% appreciation. So for me, that's been one of my main focuses for value add. In terms of the new construction, I wouldn't do a value add in a rent control market like California. I did have a project under contract last year here in LA, but walked away from it just to see the tenant profile and the rules in place, very difficult to operate as a landlord. However, as I shared, a new construction deal, you control the tenant pool and overall product and cost going into it. It's a different scenario. So that's where... I am excited to be involved in a deal like that. And that's why I am. Again, new product and us able to control putting in tenants, paying market rent and us having all that control versus trying to do a value in this market. The Texas deal is a little bit more of a diversity play for me and my team, mainly because exploring a market from an opportunity standpoint. So a friend of mine who basically locked up this deal I was working on this, this off-market deal. He brought it to me saying, listen, we locked this 149 units, uh, basically 39 per door, put it under contract for under $6 million and recently just got it appraised for 8.1. So before even closing it, there's about $2 million of equity on the buy. And that's why we're just planning to do it almost like a two-year flip with a considerable amount of equity. The exit is about $10 million. So that's a more of an opportunistic scenario then more of a market and overall focus. Would we consider doing more in the Texas market? Perhaps, but I'm just dipping my toes, if you will, with this opportunity, exploring and see if it makes sense to continue. So my involvement 
is not a tremendous amount. I'm assisting with some capital raising and putting some resources towards that, but minimum amount of resources over the next year and a half to two years. So again, I hope that answers a little bit why I've considered these different markets and different opportunities. That does make sense, Thomas. And portfolio diversity, I figured was going to be one of the answers that you gave. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we're in a market where, again, high interest rates, we're seeing cap rates increasing, and this may be the environment we are over the next several years. So these traditional investing markets of four or five caps just don't pencil out, in my opinion. So unless you're securing them under market with the Texas deal, you have to be very careful as operators in this current climate that we're all in. That makes sense. One interesting point from what you were saying about your ground-up construction deal in California, interesting to hear you say, and this of course makes sense that it leads to having greater control, not only over the physical components of the property because you're designing them, but also over the tenant base that you're not inheriting any. So you get to make sure that your tenants meet your qualifications, but also it makes sense that in a rent-controlled area, new construction gives you more control over the rents that can be charged because you don't have that inherited tenant base or that rental history that you are bound to in a rent control situation. Question, Thomas, given that you teach investing in other markets, you raise capital from lots of investors, it sounds like, particularly Canadian investors, and you are investing in a diversity of markets, a diversity of business plans within the commercial multifamily asset class. What is it that you're doing within the way that you structure your deals or structure your ownership in those deals to protect your capital and your investor's capital? That's a good question. In most cases, my investor's capital are obviously on the LP side. So they have limited exposure in terms of the liability standpoint. The LP structure tends to be the best model for Canadians. Um, and I can get into that conversation. But in terms of from a protection standpoint, I think underwriting conservatively, having realistic exit timelines and exit plans, under-promising, over-delivering is the focus for all of us. Most of these opportunities, I tell my investors, it's likely going to be a five-year hold. And we'll aim to be in a position to return capital in a shorter time like that through a refi or an exit. And as I shared earlier, a majority of my investors are from Canada. And for them, the type of deals that I'm structuring and they're getting involved in don't really exist in Canada. I think it's important to talk a little bit about that. The Canadian market in general is very small compared to the U.S. The population of Canada is less than California as a state. And then from there, you have maybe three, four cities, really, which have a decent amount of population. Affordability is another aspect to consider. The average home in Canada is around $800,000. When you compare that to the U.S., where the average home is around three fifty, you can clearly see that it's very expensive in Canada to make your dollar work in comparison to the U.S. And then you've got the rent control in most major markets in Canada, is a significant consideration and very challenging for investors. 
There's many instances where investors are waiting over a year to evict the tenant for non-paying and so forth. And when I compare that to the markets we're invested in, where for non-paying, the eviction times is weeks. And in terms of control a landlord has in, in these states where there's no rent continuation and you can evict with maybe a 60-day notice, it's a 180 in comparison. So for my investors, they're getting to deals that they would have no opportunity in Canada. So they're excited for that. Canadians, they have capital. It's just from an opportunistic standpoint, it's just not even comparable. And again, that the states are 10 times the size of Canada. So it's definitely an educational component that they have to understand and learn, and then putting together the right team from advisors, and then presenting the right opportunity for them. So we've got a number of lawyers and accountants involved in the process to help them structure their setup. Do they have a holding company? Do they set something up in the U.S.? Or do they invest directly personally? The good thing between Canada and U.S., there are tax treaties. So there's not necessarily a double taxation situation happening if it's structured correctly. We'll get back to the show with a first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor struggling to streamline your property management? Are you tired of juggling multiple systems to effectively manage your portfolio? Meet Rentec Direct, your ultimate solution for automating management tasks, reducing errors, and most importantly, saving you time. Rentec Direct offers an all-in-one platform for accounting, marketing, tenant screening, rent collection, and much more. And the best part? You're never alone. With U.S.-based live support and award-winning customer service, Rentec Direct is the partner you need to streamline your property management so you can focus on what's most important, growing your business and getting more deals done. If you're an investor looking to grow your portfolio, join the more than 15,000 investors and landlords who manage real estate assets totaling more than $200 billion using Rentec Direct. Just go to rentecdirect.com forward slash best ever and sign up for a free trial. Plans start at just $45 a month and you'll receive 20% off your first year just for being a best ever listener. That's R-E-N-T-E-C direct.com forward slash best ever for 20% off. Thomas, with regards to protecting your investors' capital, you're giving solid answers that our best ever listeners, those who've been listening for a while, will have heard often because... Excellent operators across the board are all saying the same things about bringing on capital partners as limited partners to protect them from liability and making sure that you are investing in deals at the deal level on a global level are going to have solid returns and ideally shorter timeframes than projected so that capital is being returned faster. My question is, let me put it this way, Thomas, there are a few things you're doing that the quote unquote average syndicator of commercial multifamily is not. And that is that you are invested across the country, the United States, as well as in Canada, but you're also doing value add as well as ground up construction at the same time. And diversifying your investment portfolio and diversifying the opportunities you're making available to your investors makes sense with regards to things like meeting the investment appetite of your investors and creating blended or diversified returns and opportunities for them. The question is really beyond the standard practices of the industry for protecting capital. Is there anything else you're doing within the way that you structure your deals to make sure 
that you're mitigating any risks that could be coming from the way that your investment portfolio is stretched across markets and across business plans. When you're bringing on co-GPs, for example, in Texas, is there anything that you were requiring of co-GPs with regards to making sure that everyone's bringing in their own capital so that everyone has that alignment of interest? Is there anything else you're doing like that in your other deals? Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think it's important to vet the operators. Who are the parties involved that are going to take the deal across the goal line? So let's talk about the California deal. As I mentioned earlier, my father-in-law has been a builder and operator and developer for about 40 years. So I've seen and been involved in several deals with him over the last 10 years. So I have a good sense of what his capabilities are. So for my investors I'm bringing in, I can clearly show a track record and experience level from the operator on a deal. So my involvement is, yes, protecting my investors by doing a good amount of homework and background check on the operator. And in this particular case, as I shared, there's a tremendous amount of experience and trust that I've built. In terms of the co-GP opportunity in Texas, similar. I'm looking for an experienced group that have gone full cycle, that have gone and done several deals in this market, that have had a team and the resources. And that's what I found with this particular group. I've built a relationship with them over the past year. I've seen what they've been doing. I've got other people corroborating on their experience. And that's helped me to feel comfortable to bring in investors into their deal. And again, this will be the first one. And it'll be a good test case for me to do future business with them. But you're right. In terms of a protection standpoint, I think it's very important as capital raisers to do a good amount of background check on the individuals who are running the project. You do bring up a very good point. Vetting operators is critically important. Vetting partners, of course, as well, especially when you have the opportunity to have a track record. Actually, one quick thing. The ground-up construction in Tucson, Arizona, who are you partnered with on that? My father-in-law as well. So we own the ah, land. Okay. That makes clear. Sense. So the same partner vetting and protection for yourself and your investors as the California deal. That's why I wanted to ask is, I didn't catch you referencing Arizona when you were referencing California. Last question here before we transition the conversation, Thomas. Unfortunately, we only have time to do this in a bullet point fashion. What are your top pieces of advice for Canadian investors looking to invest in the U.S.? So really for Canadians, I always recommend there's two paths, either slow and steady for them or to partner strategically with the experienced operators. For foreign investors from Canada, financing is the biggest hurdle for them. So really, there are one to four unit loan products that they can secure. So they may have to do a slow and steady, acquire a bunch of small assets before leveraging up. Alternatively, as I suggested, partner with a more experienced operator and leverage their system and deals and opportunities and have bypass having to go through the financing. But in addition to that, a good cross-borders attorney and just build those relationships, understand how to structure yourself correctly. That makes a lot of sense. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? <laughs> Let's go for it. What is the best ever book you recently read? Oh, that's a great question. I get asked a lot. But for me, honestly, as a born-again believer, it's going to be the Bible. That's my tried and true. Read that every day. It drives not only my faith, but encourages me in any direction of my life, business, personal, family, and so forth. What is your best ever way to give back? My time. Me and my family were committed to our local church. 
We're there about four times a week. I do some teaching on Sundays. I teach 10-year-olds. And we give back our time in helping to set things up. Like tonight, we've got an event for Halloween Fall Fest, we call it. And yesterday, me and my older kids were there helping set up for four hours. So, again, giving up of our time, our most expensive commodity for good causes, is one of the main ways we give back to our community. Thomas, on the deals that you have done, meaning properties you have acquired, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? I think one of the things is not factoring how much capital to raise for improvements. That could potentially be an area that, as an operator, you may miscalculate, and then you're going to have to factor in how to fill that additional capital required. Is it going to be a cash call from partners? Is it going to be borrowing some debt and so forth? So I think it's really important not just to raise and focus on the raise for acquisition, but really plan out over the first year or two, really what is your value add component? How much is that budget going to be? It tends to always be more than you initially anticipate. So you may want to be cautious and put a little bit more down and be able to have enough buffer to carry you across the goal line for your exit. Can you give us the example of when you made that mistake? Well, it was a deal where we acquired a building and we had anticipated about $250,000 of rentals. It was an older asset. And as we continued to do improvements, we discovered there were some additional deficiencies. It looked like there was about $150,000 that would be required. So we had to get creative in finding ways to fill that gap. And in some cases, we had to come up with our own money. In other cases, we had to go back to our partners. But we really want to go have to go back to our partners as least as possible. But in some instances, there's no other choice. And you go back, explain your case, and then everyone ponies up a bit more pro rata, of course, based on the amount of shares that they have. And we all chip in to get the project across the goal line. Thank you. And what is your best ever advice? Best ever advice, I think, is really do enough due diligence on the people you associate yourself with. I think people get excited to get into a deal, into a project, into an opportunity. And that excitement may put blinders on them. So I think it's really important you really know who you're getting to business with. Spend enough time, do enough to check, ask questions, talk to other people in the industry. It's very important because once you're committed, the likelihood is very high that you're going to be together over the next several years. So I've had cases where I've had students partner up with an individual and then that person takes their money and basically runs with it. So you really want to be careful, in my opinion, on who you're involving yourself with, who your partners are going to be. Active partners or money partners, any business scenario, really be careful on the partners. Last question, where can people get in touch with you? The easiest way is on Instagram, Real Thomas Lorini, or through my website, VentricoCapital.com, through Facebook, and also thomaslorene.com as well. Those links are in the show notes. Thomas, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you, and have a best ever day. Thank you for having me, Sloco. It's been a pleasure to be here. Appreciate your time. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? 
Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.